Artemis endeavors to get more women in the field and on the water, to support women as leaders in the conservation movement, to ensure the vitality of our lands, waters, and wildlife. Artemis endeavors to change the face of conservation. Welcome to the Artemis Podcast. I am your host, Marsha Brownlee, and this is our special series on inspiring women in conservation leadership. I'm so excited to dive into this episode. Our co-host today is uh, Montana Artemis Ambassador and my hunting buddy, Alex Stockman. Hi, Alex. Hi, Marsha. How are you? I'm good. Thank you for hopping on as co-host. I think this is going to be fun. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Um, and let's see, before we dive in, could you give our listeners, I mean, besides me just plugging you as my personal hunting buddy, could you give your list, our listeners a little quick intro? Sure. Um, so in addition to being an Artemis ambassador here in Montana, um, I also am the owner and uh, co-founder of Venery, which is a group of women who have come together to teach other women how to hunt. So mentoring is on our forefront of conversation today. So that's really exciting for me as well. Yeah. And um, we, gosh, Alex, I think you were a podcast guest way back in our first season when we talked about reactivation. And so um, everybody, if you want to hear more from Alex, I will link to that in the show notes. It was a, it was a good podcast. So I recommend it. Uh Our guest today is Dr. Jennifer James. Jen, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. I am going to start us off with a question that's been on my mind quite a bit lately. And Jen, we'll start this with you, but Alex, it's open to you as well. What's your favorite thing to do in the spring? My favorite thing in the spring is actually to go mushroom foraging. I like to... we. Search mostly mostly for morels and coral mushrooms, which those are my absolute favorite. And I also like going shed hunting. And I think the reason those are my favorite probably is because there's not that same like timeline crunch as you have when you're out hunting or, you know, and you're out fishing and you're like, come on fish. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so I really like uh, the mushroom hunting and the antlers. You get a little treasure at the end of your adventure and you can just kind of you know, get lost out in the woods and kind of meander and just enjoy being out there. That's awesome. Where Can you remind me where you're located? I live in Southern Oregon. That's right. So mushrooms, man. Mushrooms are, yeah. I'm jealous of Oregon's mushrooms. Yeah, we have a lot here. We're really lucky. Alex, what's your favorite thing to do in the spring? Well, I'd have to say that my spring is occupied with um, a lot of uh dance competitions and soccer tournaments. Um, and, and it's become one of my favorites because those are the things that my kids are involved in. Um, so in addition to, to doing the mom thing, um, I really do enjoy supporting them and seeing them succeed. But, um, for me personally, I, it's kind of getting the dust off from the winter and getting back into shape. So, Mm -hmm. I um, really dive more into my um, workouts, my daily hikes or walks um, and that kind of thing, because I know how quickly hunting season is going to catch up with me um, and I don't want it to kick my butt. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Any more than it will anyway. <laughs> it yeah. yeah, exactly. Any more than it needs to, right? Exactly. There I you go. I want to be ready and prepared. Nice. Um, how about you? 
Yeah, I, you know, I, I think it's interesting how my favorite thing to do in the spring has evolved as I've gotten older and gotten more into hunting and fishing. Um, because I, uh, yes, I think the first time out on that trail when there's snow, no snow is so amazing. And I've um, started out in the West enjoying springs as a wildflower hunter, I guess, <laughs> where I would just like soak up all of the blossoms and all of their stage and tried to learn them um, as much as I could. And then it went to morel hunting, um, which was something I've only been doing for the last five or six years and, and absolutely love. Um, but then uh, bear hunting, and I'm not going to be able to go on my annual bear hunt trip this spring. And I've been thinking about that a lot because apparently that's what spring is to me now. <laughs> so we'll have to figure out um, other ways to scratch that itch. Uh, Marcia, what is your favorite way to prepare the morels? I just like sauteing them. Um, yeah, just, just rinsing them and sauteing them in uh, butter. I think they're so delicious yeah. and, and yeah, I just, I usually keep it simple. What's your favorite way? My husband likes them um, with butter and garlic on a steak, but I actually like beer battering them and Ooh. frying them and eating them that way. Uh, I could eat pounds and pounds of morel popper. <laughs> I like it. What do you, do you dip them in anything? I don't dip them in anything. They're, they're enough. Put a little, themselves. yeah, Tony Sasheries on there and just down the hatch. What is that? The Tony Sasheries. It's like a Cajun okay. seasoning. It's tasty. Lovely. All right. Jen, tell us a little bit about who you are. Um, so I am a mom as well. My son's actually at soccer practice right now, so <laughs> I can relate to you with that. But uh, I am a professor of organizational behavior at the Oregon Institute of Technology. And I really enjoy that because it does give me a chance to not only teach, but to mentor students. And for example, one of the very first things we do, we just started a new term, was we, we start out by doing like personality tests and seeing how people's behaviors and attitudes influence how they interact with their world and how they interact with groups and then how that ultimately will affect the organization they work for and the kind of work they do and the quality of work they do. And so I really, really enjoy it. It lets me use my um, psychology background, but also my leadership background and management and just really my passion for educating people on how they can be their best selves. So I really uh, am fortunate that I really like my job. <laughs> Um, but I've just always been an outdoors person. I grew up trout fishing and now I mostly bass fish. My family wasn't hunters, but my husband really got me into hunting and now I absolutely love it. I love all the things outdoors, um, fishing, camping, hiking, all of those things, foraging. And also my daughter and I do Girl Scouts and that's given us opportunities to do even more things like we've gotten to Girl Scout camp and we've gone canoeing and kayaking. So just any time I can be outside and getting that vitamin D that uh, makes me a happy lady. It's amazing. I love the Girl Scouts. I had some fun memories of, of them in 
at camp when I was a kid. Um, I want to dive into, I'm super curious because I'm also really interested in and passionate about organizational culture and work culture. Um, Because when it's good, it's great. And when it's not, it's not. Um, (laughs) So I'm curious if you could, like with that personality test where you start with um, individual uh, habits and preferences and then take it up to the organizational level, can you provide, like, can you give us an example of that and, and walk us through that connection? Yeah, so there's all kinds of personality tests out there, and some of them are definitely more accurate than others. One test that I have my students take is the Myers-Briggs personality, and the reason I like it is because it breaks down into more detailed, broader, there's like 16 personality types, um, as as opposed to the ones that are like, oh, well, you're a green or you're a yellow. It gets really, really in-depth, and it talks about your uh, the career goals, what kind of parent you're going to be, how you are in your friendships. And so um, it kind of uses like the the big five personality aspects. So it measures if you're an introvert or an extrovert, um, if you're intuitive or if you're a thinker or a judger, um, those kinds of things. And it's really interesting because even if the students don't always agree with what their results are. It really has them take a minute to step back and be like, do I do that? Is that how I am? Is that how people see me? And it's really interesting to see their, their feedback on it because sometimes it's uh, a little too close for comfort, especially when it comes to things like being judgmental, because in society, we don't, that's typically frowned upon. You don't want to be seen as somebody who's judgmental, but also we need people that are judgmental to tell us, you know, when we're kind of stepping out of line and where we can make our corrections. So like my own personality type, um, mine comes back as a protagonist. So I am an extroverted person. I rely heavily on intuition. I'm a thinker. I am a little bit of a judger, you know, good or bad. Um, But it tells you what kind of career types you can do based on those personality aspects. And one of the career matches for that would be like a teacher or an entrepreneur. And so I think it fits me personally really well. And the thing about not necessarily agreeing with it or seeing aspects that you might perceive as negative, um, it's just an area of your personality that's a little bit weaker. And depending on the situation, especially if you're kind of in between um, introverted or extroverted, it's the situation you're in and the people that you're around that will make that certain personality trait really come through and shine depending on what's going on around you. And so just having them start out being honest with with themselves and understanding that it, it takes all of us. It takes all different kinds of people to make the world go around and make organizations successful. And so just really being honest with themselves so that they can also better understand the other people and how they impact other people that they're around. Mm-hmm. Very interesting. Thank you. Uh, so we are gathered here together today <laughs> to talk specifically um, about your dissertation on mentorship of conservation leadership in women. And this was uh, so in the leadership training that we did in early February, um, you pre- you 
joined us and gave a short presentation on that. And I think that laid a really fantastic foundation for the rest of the day. And so I'm excited in this leadership podcast series to sort of start out in the same vein um, and and dive into your dissertation topic uh, to lay a solid foundation for the conversations we're going to have in advance or uh, for the conversations we're going to have in this podcast series. But I'm curious, what initially drew you to that particular topic? Having the personality that I have, uh, being, you know, so drawn to leadership kind of naturally and really being passionate about mentorship, my degree was in management and leadership. And so I had to find something in that vein that I was going to study and research for the next three years, basically. <laughs> and when I initially started, um, I actually picked remote work. I was going to focus on remote work. When and it you, was when was this? Like uh, just timeline. It was, was be this before pandemic. <laughs> it was before the pandemic. So good thing I didn't do that because my research would be so outdated so quickly. <laughs> oh, that's so true. So yeah, pre-pandemic. Um, and so I was just kind of going through the motions. And one day, one of my mentors at school actually pulled me aside. And he's like, you know, you're this like introvert or extroverted person. And you're always, you know, really outgoing. And when you're talking about this, it just seems like you're just go monotone. You just kind of like zone um, out. Yeah. You're going through the motions. And he's like, why did you pick this topic? And I said, well, I picked remote work because I, I was doing remote work at the time. And it was because doing remote work let me be outside when I wanted to be outside. Oh, interesting. And so I was like, you know, I do this work because it's a means to an end because it lets me do what I want to do outside and, you know, pursue my passions. And he was like, why don't you find a way to make this topic about your passion so you can be passionate about it so that it's easier to write and research. It's going to be interesting to you. And so I was like, well, how do I kind of combine my like passion for the outdoors and for conservation and all those things and leadership? And so I thought about it and I was like, you know what? I want to focus on women leaders in conservation. Like who are the ladies that are standing out as leaders? Because I think anybody that's been around conservation organizations, they're typically male dominated. And as a woman, I would love to see more women. Uh, I think there has been an increase in women in leadership roles, but we still have a long way to go. And so that's what I wanted to focus on. I wanted to focus on the boss ladies and see what we could do you know, what's going on? How do we get more women into those leadership positions? That's fantastic. And what a great professor to notice. Like, this is like, you're going to, because I've heard um, doctoral students in the midst of the dissertation and they're like, I am so sick of this topic. I can't even anymore uh, because it, you go deeper into it than you probably ever have in anything else. And what a great professor to say, like, if you're not passionate about this, then change it because that's what's necessary to get it done. Yeah. I'm incredibly thankful to him because I think at that point I was only like six months into it and I was already so over it. And I thoroughly enjoyed every, every minute of it. it I mean, maybe not every minute of it, <laughs> <laughs> but definitely, you know, doing the research and learning about it and doing the interviews for my actual study was beyond, beyond my favorite part. I loved it. I think what I have a question about that, Jen. Yeah, I have a question for Jen um, regarding that research is 
um, you stated that there's a lack of women in those leadership roles. So did you have a hard time finding those people to interview? It was tremendously hard. There were organizations that I would try to reach out to that are in conservation. And I would say, hey, I'm doing this study. I want to talk to the women. And they would say, we don't have any women here. And there were, <laughs> there were some that I'd reach out and they'd be like, I'd tell them about my study and what I was doing. I want to look into conservation leadership and mentorship. And they'd say, that's great. And they, I would say, okay, well, I just want to talk to the women. And they'd say, nope. Don't want to do that. So I had to actually adjust and stop contacting the organizations directly and kind of backdooring and just seeking out the women independently to get them to participate. Um, wow. I, were you focused uh, um, specifically on hunting and fishing conservation organizations? No, I also included some land conservation and I looked into waterway and I looked into, you know, specific species organizations. And so I only had one participant that was a land use focused conservation. Most of them were from some kind of like hunting or fishing or, you know, specific species conservation. Interesting. Alex, do you have any other questions? Nope. Moving on. So tell us what you found. So (laughs) what I found. That was like the dorkiest sentence I've uttered all week. (laughs) But I meant it. I meant it with all my heart. So what I found was, first and foremost, I found an incredible group of participants. I was so touched and so impressed by so many of them. They were intelligent, articulate. They were passionate. And I got off some of those interviews, you know, it's a, you have to follow this like protocol because it's supposed to be, you know, like a scientific research, like based interview. But some of them I got off and I was like nearly brought to tears because I thought they were so incredible. And in some of those cases, I felt like they didn't realize how incredible they really were. And so the main themes that came out of my research was a lot of subtle gender bias, um, with gender bias, there's some that's like some of them experience very overt, you know, maybe like sexual harassment, but some of the, most of it was more of a subtle gender bias, just kind of the language that was being used. Another issue was imposter syndrome, which like I said, it's those women that are so incredible, not realizing like that they even are mentors. I had one participant that said, well, I don't even know that I am a mentor, but the whole reason I had actually interviewed her was because another participant said, hey, you need to talk to my mentor. Can I give her your information? (laughs) So then the other two things I found um, was the importance of external influence because there are so few women that exist, especially in leadership positions in conservation organizations, reaching out across those like organizational lines and um, finding other women leaders that are within the conservation sector. And then fostering and developing their own independent leadership is so important and giving them that validation that you are a leader, you are a mentor, and you can go out there and make a difference, and you already are. I really... One of the things that I've thought as I look through your research and your findings is how much I appreciate that the findings seem to be both 
I guess negative is not the word that I want to use, but it's the one that's coming to mind. Like negative themes like subtle gender bias and imposter syndrome. Um, but then also the the more um, empowering themes like external influence and developing independent leadership. And um, yeah, I'm like, did you think about that when you were writing it about how nice it is to see not only the struggles, but also the opportunities? Yeah. And the way I kind of perceived it when I was writing about it is here these women are experiencing these more kind of negative things and they're finding ways to adapt and overcome Mm. and still climb that ladder and make a difference. And so I think that was what I was really so impressed with (gasps) is they would tell me those kind of, you know, well, yeah, you know, the older guys, they kind of say this, this kind of stuff. And, you know, it doesn't really rub me the right way, but I talked to another leader at this other organization and she pumps me up and she keeps me going. And so they're, they're finding ways to, you know, really overcome those issues. And that was really a great thing to see. That's brilliant. I hadn't thought of it in that light, but if you think about it, like if you're experiencing subtle gender bias in the organization that you work, then reaching out to an external resource network is is a coping skill for that. And then same thing, if you're experiencing imposter syndrome in um, the work that you're doing, then developing independent leadership styles and independent leadership skills uh, could be another way of managing that. That's kind of cool. Yeah, I, I was so I was so impressed with so many of them. Um, foraging their own way and like really focusing on building those relationships and building each other up so that they can see succeed in their own leadership. It was awesome. Yeah. You, so with the with the research that you did and the themes that you found, you also recommended um, some actions. Can you talk to us a little bit about that? Yeah. So with this subtle gender bias, I think it's hard because it's kind of based around the language that's being used every day within the organization. It's kind of like, oh, well, she's got the fr- the pretty face, you know, let her be the lead on this project. And while it might not seem like, you know, they're being sexist, it's, it's, we want to be recognized because we're doing good work and because yeah. we're knowledgeable and we can do that work. And so it's not necessarily that, hey, woman, go make me a sandwich. Granted, that is happening in some organizations, but in not in all of them, thankfully. And just changing the way we talk about each other um, and each other's work. So putting in some, just being more self-conscious, I guess, and active learning strategies and interventions that like, hey, that might sound like a compliment to you, but it's not being perceived as a compliment to them. Um, With the imposter syndrome, the recommendation that I made was for leaders and managers to really go out of their way to recognize women for excellent work and giving them more opportunities for leadership training and mentorship and sponsorship. And so letting them go outside of the organization and, you know, networking and making those opportunities for mentorship, but also a lot of times what women tend to do is if they're at a group of at the table with a group of individuals, they will say, Oh, well maybe this possibly could maybe work. (laughs) And then they give their idea, but it's a great idea. 
And then whoever's, you know, at the head of the table leading is like, oh, well, we decided we're going to do this. And that woman that came up with the idea doesn't really get the credit. It's so interesting because um, I'm just making a whole lot of connections through this conversation. And that's very exciting to me, Jen. So thank you. Um, but as part of this, you know, we did a whole bunch of research into potential and actual barriers that women face to volunteer leadership role. And one of the ones, and we'll go over this in another podcast later. So for our listeners, don't worry, we'll deep dive because it's really interesting. But one of the findings was that a significant barrier is lack of recognition and how obviously that's so closely connected to imposter syndrome. Like, of course, we feel like imposters when our contributions aren't being recognized and acknowledged. Right. And it is kind of that confidence. Like we, we have an idea and we speak up, we find a way to speak up, but we're not like, if you're not as confident to say, Hey, this is my idea. This is going to work. We need to run with this. We kind of let other people that have, maybe we think they have more leadership or more right to management. So they kind of run with our idea and we don't necessarily get all the credit we deserve for that. And so that goes a long way to impacting that imposter syndrome that we're feeling. We're like, well, do do I belong here? I don't know. So interesting. Um, With the external influence of just creating a collaborative culture is something that's really important. Sometimes when we're focused, especially on like species conservation, if we're focused on, you know, turkey or mule deer or elk or whatever it is, we kind of get focused on our own separate things. But when we can collaborate and realize and work towards, you know, we all are focusing on conservation and how can we kind of pool our resources to make a culture in conservation and especially in nonprofit organizations because people really care. That's why people are typically in a nonprofit organization. It's because they care. They want to see a change and they want to make um, those areas better. And so increasing opportunities to network outside of our own individual individual organizations and with other conservation groups um, would be a really good way to kind of foster that external influence. I love that. That just that, again, coming back to that collaboration and, and sharing those ideas and thoughts and not having to reinvent the wheel for every organization should, should one be a funders um, criteria, Mm. right? Like, this isn't a new thing. Um, where where can these funders actually maximize their gift giving in in the process of promoting conservation? Right? How can how can maybe the funding model, as you said, Marcia, it it inhibits some collaboration sometimes. But how about the funders start looking at changing that and and looking at how can we um, encourage more of that collaboration? Because then everybody's getting more bang for the buck. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, The last recommendation that I actually had, it's kind of similar with the collaborative culture, but in developing independent leadership, being able to provide mentorship opportunities and professional development and sponsoring women's work, which kind of touches back on that imposter syndrome again, is so important because a good leader, 
Um, one of my quotes from one of my participants that I absolutely love, they will teach you the ABCs and then let you read on your own. So they can show you the way, show you how they lead, show you their leading style. And then you can take that, the good and the bad, and build your own leadership from that and really take that and be creative and innovative and step up and really make a difference in conservation, which is ultimately our goal. And in doing that, you inspire others behind you because we see those women leaders, we see them stepping up, we see them being, um, you know, strong leaders and making a difference. And it really does impact the community because then other women see you doing that and they say, you know what, I can do that too. And I want to do that too. And so it's really, really important um, that we mentor others and, you know, just try to try to focus on bringing each other up and building each other up so that we can address things like imposter syndrome and change the language that's being used about gender bias and just showing, you know, everyone in the conservation industry that women can really make an impact in this sector. I think for me, that last one of developing independent leadership um, really hits me personally. I think it's really important to me because I think for so long, you had to play the game as it was stated on the field, right? And so leadership meant certain things. It meant certain behaviors. It meant certain attitudes. It meant certain ways of, of functioning. Um, and now there's much more conversation um, about altering that and leading in, in a way that um, is much more, I guess, when you're talking like balanced, if you're talking about um, masculine styles versus feminine styles or like a, a yin and yang balance is bringing more balance into, into leadership styles and allowing people to develop who they are as leaders as opposed to trying to fit themselves into this predetermined mold of what leadership is. And I'm so grateful that that conversation is present um, and, and that people are starting to understand that that's a possibility. Yeah, something I always tell my students when we're studying management and leadership is just because someone is a manager, it does not make them a leader. They're related terms, but they are not the same terms. Sometimes the most influential leader in an organization is someone who has no formal power. It could be the secretary at the front desk. I'm clapping. <laughs> <laughs> if if the secretary at the front desk, she knows who's coming in, who's coming out, who has vacation. You know, she's been there 20 years. She has opinions. She knows how the whole operation works. And so sometimes that person that has no formal authority or management is the best leader and just recognizing that that they they do play a role ultimately in how our organization is going to run in our organizational culture it's so important and having different leadership styles is important because we're not all motivated the same way we don't all work the same way and and recognizing that as well is important yeah. And, and I like, and nor should we be like, I think you mentioned earlier, like it takes all kinds and, um, and that's true in leadership as well. What you do and how you do it is going to resonate with certain people. And, um, and, and that, and that diversity of, of style is vital. Um, and one of the topics that we're going to delve into in, 
uh, future um, leadership trainings and opportunities to gather uh, specifically for our women who are currently serving on boards is leading from different positions uh, because that that's a real thing and it happens um, and and you can exercise leadership and implement leadership skills whether uh, you're a, a, a board member or a board president or um, like you mentioned a secretary or a program director there's leadership opportunities and all of that that can be influential to the overall work that's done so I'm stoked that you mentioned that yeah, one hundred percent. I'm curious, what other questions did your research leave you with that you are that should be pursued next, either the, by you or by somebody else? Yeah, well, one thing I think for sure with the gender bias, um, when you have companies, they hire you know a diversity manager or something, or HR gives you know a, a sexual harassment kind of seminar. In the short term, we see improvements, but in long term, if you don't keep it up and keep up those reminders, it kind of like falls back into those old habits. Mm -hmm. And so that's something that's kind of interesting to me because making a, you know, permanent change is something that's really difficult. Change is difficult for an individual, let alone an entire organization. So that's something I definitely think needs a little bit more research or maybe a little innovation in that area on how we can make a real long-term difference there. Uh, But also I had a few of my participants mention that sometimes one of the issues they come up against is actually ageism Mm -hmm. where they're like, oh, well, you're just a young kid. You don't know. And that's really frustrating because they're trying to come in with that, you know, youth and vigor and knowledge to really innovate and come in with new ideas and say, hey, you know, I have important contributions here that we can make some changes and they kind of kind of get cut down because they're the young guns. And so that was something um, it wasn't statistically significant enough for me to touch on too much in my research, but it was something that I've kept in the back of my mind. Yeah, that's interesting. Just kind of getting a little bit at that intersectionality of um, of all different types of discrimination. And I have. I have a question going back to the gender bias Um, is um, as we're becoming more educated in the workforce, in organizations, do you see the prevalence of the gender bias? Um, You said yes, in the, in the moment or in the short term, it changes, but let's say as um, new generations are coming into the workforce and the older generations where it was more habituated um, are retiring. Do you see a shift in gender bias? A little. I actually had one participant who has been in the industry for 20 years and she actually specifically said she doesn't believe it's something that the conservation community is going to outgrow. And as the sexist and chauvinist, you know, older, uh, typically white males start to age out of the professional fields. Um, she actually said that a lot of the younger guys are seeing these behaviors in this language and they're kind of perpetuating that. And so there's still quite a bit of work Mm -hmm. that needs to be done, but 
kind of outside of conservation, just what I see in research that's being done in management and leadership outside of conservation, I do have hope that it's changing and I do think it is starting to change more. Um, but I don't know if it's changing quite as quick in the conservation sector, if that makes sense. Interesting. Yeah, no, it does. Thank you. Um, and I, I think that's a good point to remember is that, um, you know, certain sectors may change faster than others, but at least it's a change that might be on the horizon. Absolutely. Um, and a change that, you know, I do think progress has been made in the number of, of women diversity initiatives that are happening across organizations and the effort to recruit. I just think it, it's happening perhaps more slowly than it is in other things. And, and I do think it's a little bit of a two steps forward, one step back situation in some cases that I think would be interesting to consider. Yeah. One of oh, my I'll participants, she actually had said uh, during, you know, they had like a really large meeting with like all of the different like board members and a lot of volunteers and participants and they acknowledged, you know, one of the leaders acknowledged, we need more women around here. And then he said, so grab your daughters, grab your wives, grab your girlfriends and drag them here. <laughs> and she Started was out like, so good. <laughs> yeah, she's like, close, but not quite. Right. That is, that's not quite how we want to be involved is by being dragged here. <laughs> um, so so I think that I think they acknowledge it, but maybe they're not quite sure about how to actually put that into action. Yeah, I think, and I think that's the, that's a good point, right? Like they acknowledge it and I think the intention is there, um, but the, the know-how is not, um, and that's where the growth is, needs to happen and still needs to happen. Right. Alex, were you going to say something? Well, I, I was just going to, um, talk about, uh, Personally, I entered the field of biology and environmental science in college, and um, and I think that this comes into that transition of that gender bias is I never knew what opportunities were available to me, and um, and I don't know. I think things have changed, right? That um, it didn't occur to me that that I could be, um, you know, something that is more male dominated in the sense. Right. And so I, it wasn't a welcoming environment or it wasn't, um, nobody suggested that it was possible almost. Right. So I think that, that the younger generations of women that are looking at careers definitely have more doors open to them. Um, and the, the older generations of women that are in conservation, um, need to be more encouraged to participate. Just... Yeah, absolutely. And I think, uh, gosh, I'm going to totally botch a statistic, <laughs> Which, uh, but I remember, uh, talking to a wildlife biologist here in Montana, who was a woman and was talking about the increase in the number of women serving in that wildlife biologist role across the country. Um, and, and if I'm remembering correctly, it was about 50-50 now at this point. And so then it's really just a matter of time as those women age up into leadership roles within the system. And we're seeing that happen um, even, you know, here in, we, with women directors and um, 
agency leaders across the country. It's it's happening. It's just taking time. As change yeah, does. Also, yeah, with even with organizations like Girl Scouts, you see them actually really starting to push things like STEM. And I think that's making a big difference. And I think in the future generations coming up here, we're going to see a lot more uh, women involved in those fields. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be back in just a second. Howdy, Artemis listeners. This is Aaron Kindle from NWF Outdoors. We know you love awesome conservation conversations. That's why we want to invite you to check out the NWF Outdoors podcast, where we dive deep into the issues, people, and places that showcase the best of the sporting conservation lifestyle. Guests include leaders, luminaries, and decision makers who define conservation and work tirelessly for fish and wildlife. Check it out wherever you get your podcasts or at nwfoutdoors.org. Okay, welcome back. Um, Jen, thank you. I've really enjoyed this conversation. Uh, and I'm going to transition us a little bit back into stories and then our closing question. But before I do, is there anything you wanted to mention that we haven't talked about yet? Oh my gosh, I think we've covered all the bases. <laughs> Excellent. Um, Alex, any last burning questions or comments? Um yeah, I guess so. Um, with the research, Jen, that you've done, um, who is putting that information, which is valuable and amazing and awesome, to use? We are. Artemis is. <laughs> uh, yes. I was so pleased to um, hear from Marsha about the program, the leadership program they're putting together and the training, because it that is reaching outside of our organizations for that external influence and that training and that mentorship. So when I conducted that research, I was really hoping, you know, a lot of times research can be really boring to read and just hoping somebody would read it and get to the end and be like, you know what, I see something here that maybe we could put into place and maybe make some changes and learn from this. And Artemis absolutely is doing that right now. And it is um, beyond exciting to me. And I'm so pleased to be a part of it. And it makes me really, really proud to see those kind of changes being made. Well, thank you for emailing it to me. <laughs> <laughs> Um, are there are there other organizations that are um, looking for it, or if they are interested after hearing this podcast, um, can they tap into your um, your research and your wealth of knowledge? Yeah, so uh, my research is available online. My study was called. <laughs> I love that long pause so much. Yeah, I was like, oh my gosh, what it, what have I been doing with my life? Um, so my research is available online. My study was called Mentorship of Conservation Leadership in Women, a Phenomenological Study, and it's by Jennifer James, and it's available online. It's available through ProQuest. And so if people want to go out there and read it, all of my findings are available as well as the recommendations that I made. And there's a lot of direct 
quotes from my participants that I really love that I think actually provide some like firsthand insight that's really interesting. But all, all the findings and my recommendations are in there. You just, it's, it's a long read, but it's definitely worth it. Um, is that, can we link to that in our show notes? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, excellent. Um, and I have to say, just speaking about reception of research like this and the work that Artemis is doing in the hunting and fishing conservation community and the agency community has been so amazing. It, the, it, it, it's been so well received and so well shared um, that it's really been incredibly uplifting to, for me to um, lead Artemis in this kind of work and have everybody celebrate it. It's just, it's been wonderful. Um, and so I just want our listeners to know, you know, I think we had a lot of difficult conversations about change that still needs to happen, but there's excitement and there's energy and there's real strong desire um, for this change and not just for gender inclusivity, but for racial and ethnic inclusivity, for orient sexual orientation inclusivity. Um, it's something that, that, people really want to succeed at um, more often than not. So um, that is really gratifying to me. Yeah, like you said, with the different, you know, with all types of diversity, research actually shows that we don't get the benefits of diversity, which is creativity, innovation, problem solving, the true benefits of diversity don't occur until you are beyond 10% diversity. And so if you have a board of 10 white men and you have, you know, maybe one lone woman, you know, nine men and one woman, you're not really getting the benefits of diversity because if you are the one woman and there's, you know, nine, 10 men on the, your board, you don't always feel free to speak up or feel like your voice is being heard and you don't see those other leaders around you that look like you um, to, to be mentored by. And so getting the benefit for organizations to get the benefit of diversity, we really need to have all those, all the different types mm -hmm. represented and, and get, get that creativity going and that innovation and really get to the core of solving some of the problems that we're facing. Yeah. Which, and as we mentioned in the introduction to this podcast, you know, the, the, the issues we face are significant and it's going to take everybody at the table in order to solve them. So um, it's a good thing that we are starting on that path. <laughs> awesome. Okay, here we go for hits and misses, our weekly closer. What have you been aiming for lately and how do it... <clears throat> what have you been aiming for lately and how did it go? Alex, are you prepared to kick us off? Certainly. Um, so Venery hosted, uh, just this last week, we hosted a uh, local uh, regulations and e-scouting event. And uh, in Montana, we have a, a deadline coming up for our um, special permits. And uh, we wanted to mentor and educate some of our new hunters about how that process goes. Um, and so we had done a lot of preparation for it, got the word out, um, and we had a half dozen or more women um, register for this class. And I was super excited about it. Um, and it's it was, for me, coming off of spring break. So there was a lot of um, 
anxiety about it as well. It's like, okay, I've got to get all my ducks in a row and, and get that ready. And um, all the pieces came together. We had two great presenters, um, one about the regulations, and um, she's so knowledgeable about the regulations. And um, she was well prepared, and we had handouts. And then we also had another presenter to talk about e-scouting and do a um, visual presentation of um, an application that uh, you can utilize to to find your way around. And then we also invited a great presenter. Um, she's actually one of our um, state legislators who passed a bill around our block management program. And so we had this great lineup. Um, I had half a dozen or more women sign up for it. And that was a hit um, because all those pieces came together. But the miss was, and and I know this, um, and it's it's somewhat disappointing, but um, women's schedules are um, very dictated by their family. And so even though we had so many registrations, we only had half of the registration, uh, half of the participants attend. And so that was really disappointing to me is that we had this great lineup, we had all this information, um, and yet um, the, the participation um, wasn't what I had expected. And so um, I just, I feel bad that people missed out on the wealth of knowledge that we had available to them. And um, I hope to do it again um, in the future, but um, we continue to put classes out there. And so it's kind of a hit and a miss both together because the class, the people that were there got all this wonderful information, but I, I feel bad for the people that missed out. It sounds like an incredible event um, and just so informative. And I imagine the people who did show up uh, not only appreciated the information that they received, but appreciated the one-on-one -on -one attention they were able to get. <laughs> you know, definitely. And it actually turned into a more of a casual conversation than a presentation. And so I was, you know, it's kind of like finding that silver lining um, in that, yes, we could spend and dive deeper into people's specific questions and needs around that. And that was certainly, um, it, you know, things go in a different direction when you have less formality, yep. Yep. I suppose. So Definitely. yeah, it was great, though. Excellent. And you've got some events coming up, too, right? You've got the Turkey Tactics in a couple weeks. We do. So, uh, yep, Artemis and Venery are co-hosting uh, some Turkey Tactics classes where we are um, mentoring women um, who are interested in learning how to um, pattern a shotgun and learn some turkey behavior and um, then get ready to participate in a turkey camp. So looking forward to that as well. Me too. That's going to be fun. Uh, Jen, what have you been aiming for lately and how did it go? Lately, I've just been trying to be more involved in my own local community. I get caught up uh, with my family schedule as well. Obviously, I have work and then my kiddos have, you know, baseball and choir and theater and Girl Scouts and all the things. Um, so I've been trying to make more time to be involved in my local community, not just because it gives me something to do, but because I'd like to you know, really apply my own research to what's happening around me locally. 
Um, so I've been participating with Artemis more, which is fantastic because it kind of reaches a broad range of women nationwide, which I really enjoy. And also I have the Oregon Hunters Association. They have an event coming up that I'm going to. But what I'm really aiming for is the college I work at, the Oregon Institute of Technology. We actually have a little place called the Treehouse. And they provide students, they can check out mountain bikes and canoes and kayaks and things like that for free. And they do um, outdoor events like they, you know, do zip lining and they do snowboarding and things like that to get students outside and active and, you know, kind of away from their computers. But also there's a lot of students that come from bigger cities that don't get a lot of these more um, rural experiences or outdoor experiences. And so I think I'm going to aim to get more involved with that. And I think especially with spring coming up, it would be great if we could do some kind of foraging adventure or maybe like a shed hunting adventure. So I think I want to really aim for making a difference on campus and and, um, really introducing the students to something they might not have done before. So that that's what I'm aiming for right now. That sounds really fun. That sounds awesome. Yeah. Keep me posted. I'm excited to hear. I will. Okay. I will. Um, So for me lately, I, I feel like we're going full circle and I'm going to talk about bear again. (laughs) We should do like a podcast bingo. And one of the items is every time Marsha talks about bear hunting. Um, But so I've been aiming. So I, I spring bear hunt. I have not yet bear hunted in the fall. And so the bear that's in my freezer right now, Um, is from last spring. And so I've been aiming to eat all of the bear in my freezer. And what I have done most recently to accomplish that goal is um, I did a a bear barbacoa with the neck that I had from my bear. Um, And it was it was it was both a hit and a miss because it's delicious, right? It is still absolutely delicious. And I'm enjoying my bear tacos uh, immensely. Again, I feel like every time I talk about bear tacos, I have to shout out to Sarah Top, who gave me the recipe that I use for the barbacoa. Um, but I did not cook it slow enough. I cooked it a little too fast, so it didn't have enough time to break down all of the tissue um, that is in the neck. And so it's a little tough um, and certainly mm. did not fall off the bone. Uh, but it is still delicious. And my advice to anybody who is cooking a neck is to um, take it slower than slow. If you think you're taking it slow, take it slower. <laughs> so that sounds familiar, Marcia, because I think that's my advice to you in the woods too. <laughs> like, like we really aren't walking slow. We just need to go slower. <laughs> yep, yep. If you think you're going slow, go slower. That's good advice for every hunting walk, for sure. It's just hard. It's hard. I find like I can go really slow for like 20 minutes, but going slow for 30 minutes is really hard. (laughs) Oh, see, I think that's why I like the foraging and looking for, you know, shed hunting because I can really just like meander and I'll be like taking pictures of frogs or I'll see like a pretty moss or pretty flower. My Mm -hmm. husband's like, what are you doing back there? And I'm like, I'm enjoying my outdoors time. (laughs) Leave me alone. That's lovely. Uh, 
Jen, thank you so much. I enjoyed this conversation a lot. And Alex, thank you for hopping on as co-host. It was great to have you. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate it. And Jen, I, I want to reiterate what Marcia said is just thank you for your information and your um, your research into this topic because it does shed a lot of light on um, just the, the issues that women are facing and the um, the ways that we can improve the conservation world around us. So thank you. Thank you. I could not be more happy to see that Artemis is not just taking the research and making it available, but putting it into action, helping to make leadership and mentorship more accessible to women. And I really, really hope that the program's successful. I'm so honored to be a part of it. And thank you so, so much um, for letting me be involved in all the great work that you're doing. My pleasure. Thank you for letting us do it in an informed way, which um, is, as everybody knows, so important. Uh, to our Thank listeners, you. yeah, to our listeners, before we head out, uh, two quick announcements about some awesome events coming up for Artemis. First, we are very excited to partner with Angie Scott from the Woman Angler and Adventurer to host a virtual bass tactics course to engage our community in all things bass fishing. And Jen, I did not know that you were a bass fisher, so I may be reaching out to you for this too. <laughs> um, registration is currently open for that, and the first meeting will be on April 19th. Uh, second, the Artemis Book Club is currently reading Hunting and Fishing in the New South, Black Labor and White Leisure After Civil War by Scott E. Giltner. Uh, it's an incredibly interesting book that gives a lot of insight into the history of hunting and fishing. Um, pick up your copy today and then sign up for a time to join us to talk about it. We've got some time set aside in early May to do that. Um, and again, we'll drop registration links for both in the show notes. Um, we hope you can join us for one or all of them. If you enjoyed this podcast, please share it with a friend. And if you are interested in learning more about the Artemis Leadership Program, please send an email to artemis at nwf.org. Thank you so much for joining us this week on the Artemis Podcast. Until next time, be bold, stay curious, and get outside. <laughs>